This morning's scripture is Psalm 130, which you can find on page 7 of the bulletin if you wish to follow along. First, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, that you speak to us and are present with us in our joys and our sorrows, our stresses and our pleasures. I ask that you would send your spirit on Nicole this morning as she speaks and on all of us as we hear your word. Illumine our hearts that we can understand and hear you fully. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. The word of the Lord. I am told uh, this summer that you all are working through a series uh, through the Psalms, and particularly praying through the Psalms. Uh, now, when I heard this, a couple thoughts came through my mind simultaneously. Uh, one of the thoughts was that this is uh, very fitting for me in uh, where I feel like I am in my life and how the past year of my life has been. Uh, I also thought, wow, this is very necessary for me um, to sit in a psalm and to pray through it uh, because it just keeps me accountable to what God is doing in my life and hopefully through my life. Um, and then also, of course, if anything is necessary for us, it's also very challenging. And so as I sat down and looked through um, this particular psalm, Psalm 130, uh, I had to kind of take a couple deep breaths and then also roll up my sleeves because, um, I don't know, it's always just challenging um, and hard uh, to wrestle with God through this. So as you may have heard this summer already, uh, the Psalms uh, don't so much speak to us, uh, but more rather speak for us. And so uh, I like to think of Psalm 130 as kind of a voiceover, uh, like a voiceover narrator of my life of the past year. Um, and maybe at the most dramatic points of the past year, like the music that swelled in the background. Um, but most of all, I think Psalm 130 has situated my story uh, in God's story. And so Psalm 130, which is the psalm we'll be looking at this morning, can be, uh, I think, divided up into, of course, three sections. And so the first section is verse 1 through 4, where the psalmist is speaking to God, so directly to the Lord. Uh, the next section is verses 5 through 6, uh, where the psalmist is, I think, speaking to maybe no one in particular, but perhaps maybe to themselves. And then the last two verses, 7 through 8, uh, the psalmist is speaking to Israel, so to others. Uh, now, before we dive into the psalm, I kind of want to give a little bit of a prologue. So if this tells my story and situates it in God's story, uh, I want to give a little background, maybe. So my husband, Nesu, and I uh, called Geneva our home and Madison our home uh, for quite a while, for me for six years, uh, for him three and a half. 
And so when we uh, felt called to go uh, to Washington, D.C. to move there, uh, we left Madison well, I would say. Uh, we had really good closure. Um, people blessed us. Uh, you all blessed us into a new place. Um, and so we felt really full of promise. Everyone was excited for us, uh, and ourselves included. NASA was going to go learn really mind-bending great things in graduate school about public policy. Uh, we'd hop on the metro in our spare time and go visit all the free museums. And I would stay with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and staff a group of students who had just decided to be an Asian-American-focused fellowship. And uh, I had spent my time here in Madison in Asian-American ministry, so this was my expertise. Um, the students were going to listen to me. They were going to respect me, uh, and they were going to be excited about reaching students with the good news. So we stood on the verge of something great. Um, we were really excited, uh, but then we kind of toppled over um, and found reality to be something very different from what we expected. Verses 1 and 2 of the psalm says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. The reality was when I walked onto campus and met the students that I would be working with for the first time, uh, they were not convinced of what we were about to do. And they were not convinced of who I was. And all of this happened on a campus where before I even stepped foot on campus, over the summer there was a football player uh, who actually passed away because of a heat stroke. Within the four week, first four weeks of class, there were two student suicide attempts, one of which was successful. In October, an entire freshman dorm had to be evacuated because of mold. And in November, there was another student death, um, this time by the adenovirus, which sent many students to the emergency room and many students were infected, um, a couple of students whom I knew. Isolation, anxiety, and depression, they ran rampant on campus. And I have recommended therapy to students more in the past year than I have in the entirety of my staff career. And off in the distance, the city of Washington, D.C. sat, and this is where Naso and I live. And D.C. right now is the center of really difficult and tumultuous things. It's a city where progress and education and power are idolized, and there's this collective helplessness that descends on the city often. It's a city that's being pulled apart politically. It's a city that's being pulled apart like physically, actually. And it's a city where the question, who is my neighbor, is often not asked and not answered. And so it's into all of this that I toppled into it. And it honestly felt like the depths. I, I struggled with a new place. Um, I struggled with making new friends. I struggled uh, with finding my way through a job where I was supposedly an expert. But I had to start over in so many ways. Uh, so truthfully, I have a hard time with verses 1 and 2 of this psalm. Because the psalmist wants to be heard. The psalmist actually has the audacity to declare their supplications worthy of God's ears and attention. Where I felt like I only had to reckon with a move 
only had to worry about making new friends and adjusting. It felt like others had to struggle with far worse. I mean, think of all the things I just named. Um, anxiety, disease, death, division. There were a lot of times where I feared over-spiritualizing, uh, making it about myself, falling into the individualism that uh, often pervades the West's Christianity. So who was I to declare my supplications as a priority? All year, I kind of let others cut me in the proverbial line that leads to the counter, right, where God deals with uh, humanity's problems and sits and listens. It's been a year of invalidating my own voice, and it's been a year of trying to allow this psalm to speak for me. It's been a year of slowly admitting disappointment uh, and grief. God, I thought, had no space for me. And it turns out God is big enough uh, for me, the campus, our country, and our world. Uh, you see, in verse 3, the psalmist asks, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? God is big enough where he could actually keep track of every wrongdoing, um, everything we owe him. Uh, whereas I struggle with making a to-do list and remembering what's on my to-do list, uh, God has the capacity to write down all iniquities. Um, so God could keep track. And God could keep track better than human beings, I've found. Um, and human beings, I've discovered, can keep track fairly well. Um, and so I think that's very much a DC culture thing, actually. Um, in DC, everyone keeps track of everything. So they keep track of the latest headline, they keep track of who's done what, and they keep track of who knows who. Uh, this past December, Naso and I attended uh, a Christmas party of a friend of mine. She was actually my office mate here when I worked at Epic uh, here in Madison. She lives in DC now, so she invited Naso and I over um, to this party. And so we went, right, and we uh, met people, we mingled, and then we went to leave and say goodbye to her. And as we were saying goodbye, she goes, oh, did you meet anyone that could be helpful to you, like useful to you? Um, anyone who could like move your career forward? And I looked at her and I was like, I thought I was at a Christmas party. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that I was working and that I had to network, like, and then I panicked, right? Um, and she promptly introduced Naso and me to a couple of her friends who uh, are in kind of the field that Naso is interested in. Uh, so human beings can keep track fairly well. Um, but God could keep track way better. Um, but the thing is, if God marked all iniquities, no one could stand. There isn't a job title, an accomplishment. There isn't a connection in the world um, that would allow us to stand before God. And what's amazing is that God chooses not to keep track. Um, and in fact, God um, does something very different in verse 4, uh, the psalmist says, But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. So rather than God keeping track, Jesus actually descends into the depths. Um, Jesus descends into the depths from which the psalmist cries out. And in fact, Jesus descends into the furthest depths, to death on a cross, to death for three days. 
God chooses to, in some ways, actually mark the iniquities of us, but he chooses to mark the iniquities of Jesus, who actually could stand. Jesus could stand, but instead, Jesus chooses to descend. And with that descent, Jesus offers forgiveness and grace. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we accept that gift, as we accept that grace of forgiveness, Jesus declares us to be friends, even family. He restores us into relationship with God. In John 15, he says, I have called you friends. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. And in Luke 6, he says, uh, you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And so it's into the depths that Jesus descends, and it's out of the depths that he ascends. And with that ascent, Jesus brings new life. Jesus makes it possible to do what the psalmist describes in the remainder of the psalm. In this new life, there is waiting and hoping. For you see, there's still expectancy and anticipation in the remainder of the psalm. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. As I've said in verses 5 and 6, it seems like the psalmist is speaking to like no one in particular. But I like to think that the psalmist is speaking to themselves, almost as like an encouragement or like to cheer themselves on. Because who likes waiting? I don't know. I don't like waiting. Um, one of the great gifts of uh, the move that Naso and I have made is that we are actually closer to his family. Um, so we spend a lot of time with his four nieces and nephews, who range in age from like six to 14. And so just last month, we took them on a camping trip, and it was their first camping trip, so that was really fun. We also went from zero kids to four in one weekend, so it was a lot. Uh, <laughs> So the first day we get there, we go on a hike, and then we go to the campsite to like start the fire and start dinner. And sometime during the hike, I think we mentioned, I think they asked what food we had brought. So I said, oh, you know, we've got burgers and watermelon and s'mores. And they were like, s'mores. Uh, and so we get to the campfire after, or to the campsite after our long hike, and we start to build the fire. Um, and they're like, can we have s'mores now? <laughs> We're like, wait, uh, you need to hold on. We need to build the fire. Like, just, just give it a minute, right? Um, so Naso's building the fire. I cut up some watermelon. I give it to them. And they're like, but can we have some s'mores? I was like, okay, hold on. Like, Naso's still making the fire. Like, just hold on a second. Like, wait. Um, and then we put um, some corn on the grill or on the fire. And they're like, is that s'mores? Can we have s'mores? <laughs> We're like, okay, you're going to have to wait. Uh, and then we put burgers on, and you can imagine what they said, right? Like, where are the marshmallows? Can we have s'mores? Um, ultimately, we did get to the s'mores, and they got to eat the whole bag because we were just done. <laughs> like, just have the whole thing. Um, so we don't like waiting, right? I know I don't like waiting. All year, it's felt like I've just been waiting. Um, it, people say, generally, um, that it takes a while for a place to feel like home. Um, I've heard a lot of people throw out the number two years 
<laughs> and so I just feel like I'm waiting for those two years in DC to pass by. I'm waiting for things to get better. Um, I'm waiting for DC to feel like home. I'm waiting to feel known by my students. I'm waiting for a culture change to happen in our ministry. And culture change in a ministry just, it takes time. It feels like a lot of way, like in a lot of ways, I'm just waiting for the answer to the prayers that we said here in Madison as we moved. So the psalmist is waiting. The psalmist is waiting for the Lord. Uh, maybe the psalmist is waiting for the answer to prayer. Um, but what I've noticed is that the type of waiting that the psalmist is doing is actually very active. The psalmist is doing a lot as they are waiting. Um, it involves watching. It involves putting hope in his word, in God's word. And uh, this waiting is deep. It's down to the soul. And this waiting also involves worship, worshiping God, um, as we saw in verse 4. For God's purpose, right, is for him to be revered. I think it's noteworthy that Psalm, or verses 5 and 6 come after a declaration of God's gift of forgiveness. Because verses 5, um, what comes before verses 5 and 6 is a prayer. The psalmist is talking to God in his waiting in her waiting. So how do we view prayer while we're waiting for God? Are our prayers passive or active? Are we praying at all? I think it's easy for our prayers to become passive, um, passive in the sense that it's easy to make it all about ourselves. And it's really easy to make it about um, what we want, to make prayer a way to ask for um, what we want to see prayer as almost like instant gratification. Uh, for a lot of this past year, I've just wanted to skip ahead. Um, I've wanted to fast forward. I'd wake up and be like, well, I can't wait till the end of this week. Um, I can't wait till the end of this month, even. I just wanted to skip ahead to a painless future um, where I'm content and comfortable. And that's really what my prayers became about. But the type of prayer that the psalmist encourages and the type of prayer that the psalmist is modeling for us is actually active in that it involves the hard work of awkward conversation with God. Prayer is digging deep with God into your soul and letting him excavate deep-rooted nonsense and things that maybe don't belong with you and things that don't belong to you. Prayer is powerful transformation, and prayer is to be known by God and to know God. The purpose of prayer is God in himself. And I want to say that prayer isn't active in the sense that we need to get God's attention, because God has already swept us up in conversation with him. Prayer is a sign that we have accepted Jesus' gift of forgiveness and are walking in new life with the Spirit who grounds us, and it's the spirit who gives us breath. God has made it possible for you to talk to him as if you were Jesus. God has made it possible for you to talk to him as if you were Jesus and to meet with him in that. So for me, prayer in the in-between, prayer in the waiting, means that I'm praying into a life that I'm hoping to lead. 
Prayer is an active way of learning a new way to be human. So for me, as I wait um, to settle and feel at home, it involves taking everything seriously. It involves taking uh, my own disappointment and grief and risk seriously. It involves taking the disappointment, grief, and risk of others seriously. In the last uh, two verses of uh, this psalm, we see that the psalmist is speaking to Israel. And it sounds like an exhortation, right, to hope in the Lord. Verses 7 and 8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. And so I think that this, these verses, they're definitely an exhortation. It's definitely like a, a direction. Uh, but also as I read through the rest of the psalm, these two verses, when I read it, it leads me to believe that um, maybe this is less of a command. Maybe this is less of a direction. Maybe it's more of an invitation and a call more of a plea, even, or an ask um, for others to join and come alongside and share in hope together. Because hope is done in community. Hope is done with others. The psalmist needs others to point uh, to God's steadfast love and great power to redeem, and vice versa. Because one human person uh, cannot carry it all. Our, our faith should not be so straightforward as to not confess grief and hope, sin and faithfulness, struggle and promise. That is too much for one human person. We need each other, and we need uh, to hope together. We need to call one another to Jesus. So in this past year, as I've sat in the depths, and as I've sat waiting, um, and honestly, I think I'm still waiting. I've, uh, I've needed people. And uh, the truth is, uh, this, I, I shared a lot of kind of sad things <laughs> at the beginning. But the truth is that it was a year that did involve a lot of cool things um, that God did. Um, he did a lot among students. But uh, whenever anyone would ask me, um, I would actually struggle to recount any story for them. And so it took, and it's, it's still taking people um, to help me in this. So here are some stories that others have um, actually helped me to remember. Um, there was a student who said yes to following Jesus for the first time in the first week of school. There was a freshman who showed up to our fellowship who wasn't even looking for a Christian community, and she ended up in our chapter, and uh, she discovered that she wasn't actually following Jesus, and she decided that she wanted to take it more seriously, and in fact, she's going to be a small group leader next year. Um, our student leaders uh, at a leadership meeting, they actually powerfully uh, repented and confessed the ways that they were exclusive and how they had left others out, and the ways that they failed to act in welcoming all. I had a student leader who, because of Urbana, University's uh, Triennial Missions Conference, because of what she learned there, she actually stepped down from leadership. Um, and in doing so, she realized that there is freedom in loving God and in loving others. She got more involved in her Wushu club, 
um, and actually invited one of her non-Christian friends uh, to many of our small groups and finally to one of our large groups before the year ended. There was another student who would have never considered leadership, uh, but I saw something in him, so I asked him to come on. And as the semester progressed, he actually intimately got to know his small group, and despite a bumpy start, came out of the other end of the semester, naming how he learned to endure with God through the challenges of leadership. So I'm learning and beginning to see that these stories are the moments of hope, and Hope is found in the pain and suffering of God's people. Both are glimpses of God, and both are Jesus' invitation to ascend with him. Truthfully, I do hope for like the cool, sexy stories to be able to tell you <laughs> when a year is over. I do hope for successes. I hope uh, for our chapter and ministry to grow. But honestly, hope is not based on circumstances. I want to hope in the Lord. I want to hope in his promises and his faithfulness. I want to hope in God's steadfast love. I want to hope in a God who descended to the depths and ascended to new life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful that you know the depths that Jesus, you descended into the depths um, to know us, um, to be with us, to love us. And so, Jesus, we just want to worship you with our lives, um, with where we are as we are waiting and hoping together. So, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Would you help us to pray so that we may be a people um, that revere you, that worship you, and you alone. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.